You are listening to The Edge, a podcast for personal development junkies and visionaries living right at the precipice of, oh shit, meets fuck yeah. I'm Nadia Munda, an embodiment and relationship coach and a lover of all edges. Stick around to listen to raw, unpolished conversations where we explore our personal and collective edges in all their erotic glory. Uh, this is my fancy Joe Rogan setup. I have 16 mics and uh, we're sitting on my bed <laughs> on the corner. Um, okay, so I have with me today Alexandra Roxo, and I'm so excited because I love her podcast. Mm. I listen to it all the time. Mm. And so, you do? Yeah, I do. Oh, I, I like do. hearing that. You I feel like people guests. don't tell me enough. Um, I, I want more DMs and emails from people telling me that they – or what they love about the podcast, not yeah. just that they love it, but I like to get, I like feedback. I'm a good, I'm a good f- person for feedback. Like I'm good at getting feedback. Mm-hmm. So if someone is like, oh my God, like I really love having these women who talk about like esoteric mysticism, I'll be like, oh cool, that's great to know. Or if it's like, oh my God, I really need more of this. There's a dog at the door. Um, <laughs> this is the unfiltered raw version. <laughs> Yeah, so I appreciate I appreciate hearing from people what they love, um, what they want more of. It's like the same concept in relationship. It's like I want the person that I'm with. Oh, oh my God! You oh know, no. shoot! Oh. You know who's here? We just had to say hi. We're, we're, we're mi- are you okay. Right yes, now? we are. Oh, we oh, you're not editing these, right? So. No, we're not. So Rusty gets to be part of this podcast. Okay, he, the, the we have been taken over by the excitement of an eleven-month puppy who refused to just stand at the door. Right? He heard Oh man! Is that true? Well, the good news is, um, people listening already know that I've said garbage trucks will be included, dogs will be included. Okay, but how quick can we make this love story, huh? Ha ha. Okay. See you later, okay, sugar. Okay, so. As I was saying, I love getting feedback in general, like in a relationship, friendship. I love hearing, wow, it really supports me when you give me this or when you show up like this. I want more of that. And then on the flip side, it actually doesn't support me when you, ABC, when you give me unsolicited advice about my work or whatever, you know. Um, So I feel like that in general, like, for me, I'm a Gemini rising. My north node is in Gemini. For any of you who like astrology, if you don't, well, I'm sorry. Where have you been living for the last? <laughs> um, but my um, my north node, which is your karmic destiny, mine is in Gemini as well. In the um, in the twelfth house, which is the house of mysticism and healing and all of that. So, and I'm a Gemini rising. So communication is so important for me. Whether it's between me and my clients, me and my audience, me and followers online, if there's not a flow of communication, I'm like, oh no, what's happening? And in like 2018, pre-COVID, 
I was so on social media. I was just like so connected to my audience, like back and forth conversations. I, I knew what they needed, what they wanted. And then with COVID, um, you know, global crisis, Black Lives Matter, um, all kinds of things happening politically. I backed off a little bit and I disconnected a bit from who those people are. And then I felt the loss of connection of like, wait, there's no longer that thread of communication. So I've been rebuilding it kind of in my business Mm -hmm. and publicly. Um, And also I think that's healthy. It's okay to have periods where the communication is kind of a bit more Mm -hmm. quiet. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think that speaks to just like also feminine creatures. Like we, we, just do so well with like feedback and connection and like just feeling like we're really on the pulse of like what's going on, what people are feeling, what people are needing. How can we nurture you? Because our work is really just about love. And we're going to get into that. I think as we dive deeper, but it really is just about loving our community, you know, whether it's our community online, our community in person, our little, you know, family units that we create and friend units that we create. And so, um, it, we feel cut off and like, there's, um, there's a starvation. There's a little bit Mm. of a hunger when we don't get that, that feedback. Yeah. We don't know. Okay. How, how can I nurture you? How can I nourish you? Which is so much of why we show up and serve. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So other than her podcast, Alexandra is a phenomenal writer. Just, I love, 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 you know, reading everything that she publishes um, in books and online. And um, if you don't already follow her on Instagram, you 100% need to um, because it's a breath of fresh air. I think the way that she shows up on social um, because it truly is just in service and in devotion of creativity. And so Mm -hmm. part of why I wanted to bring you on and for anyone who doesn't already know you in my community to get to know you is because there are so many facets of the way in which you show up that to me is that like breath of fresh air mm. um, without it uh, sacrificing from the depth and the grit and the like, oh my God, I've lived 17 lives and let me tell you about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that combination is important, right? For us to be able to, uh, to move and dance through the spectrum of it all. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I thought we'd start today, um, by I wanted to check in. I wanted to see what do you feel currently is an edge that you are exploring in your life, in your work, in your friendships? Mm-hmm. Well, the last two years, I've been in a long-term relationship with a very masculine man. Before, my last long-term relationship beforehand was with a woman. And when she and I broke up, I felt this, like, I need to to be with a man. And not only just a man, but I need to explore being with someone who's going to really hold me. Um, Up till that point, I had had incredible relationships. A lot of the times, though, I was holding more. I was in a position of more power, leadership. Um, It was actually my first relationship with a woman who was super butch, who... I really learned to let go and be held in and to open in major ways. And I kind of feel like life had to trick me 
by giving that to me and a woman because I think because of my issues with my dad, I wouldn't have opened if it was just like a guy who showed up and was like, let me hold you. I'm bigger and stronger than you. Let me lead you, you know. Um, But she was all of those things. And she was just like, no, give me your bag. I'm going to carry it. And I'm like, no, this is ridiculous. And she'd be like, hell no, give me the bag, you know. And um, there was even one time when we were at the Metropolitan Bar, God, in Williamsburg back in the day. It's like a really cute kind of gay bar. Um, And uh, Nirvana Smells Like Teen Spirit came on. And my friend and I started throwing glasses. I've never done that. And my girlfriend just stood there and watched and just let me do it for one. She let me throw one glass or my friend threw a glass. And Wait, but why were you guys throwing glasses? Did we were just having thing? like a raging <laughs> like emo moment. Yeah. <laughs> so good. This is the only time I've ever done that. And and my girlfriend at the time, <sighs> she just let me have that moment. And then she came, put her arms around me and she said, okay, honey, we're going home now. <laughs> put me in the cab, you know. And I'm not promoting like you know, <laughs> mid-20s drunkenness anymore. I'm, I'm 38 now, guys. Um, that was when I was probably 25. But there was a lesson in that moment mm. of um, I went wild. Of course, it was in a more sort of um, immature version of the wildness, but that someone was there tracking me. Like, mm. I felt what it was like to be tracked, to be in a room at a party and someone's tracking me. And... um you know, that was such a gift. Anyway, cut to, I don't know, 14, 13 years later. And I'm in the first relationship with like a very masculine man, like a white man who's nearly 50. Um, and, you know, lives in Colorado where I've moved. And it's very much the antithesis of what, who and what I've been with before in terms of relationship. And so that's been the greatest edge for me. It's moving my life from Los Angeles to Boulder, Colorado, and going, oh my God, what, I don't even know if I'm gonna, if this is the right match for me to be in this type of a relationship, but I know there's an edge of healing and awakening for me in terms of being held and loved and supported by a strong, conscious, masculine force. And so I've gotten to replay some of the things from my childhood that occurred with my very masculine, strong Brazilian father, but to, to replay those and to heal those within a safe container. And my partner is very conscious. So it's very different. doesn't mean it's not painful because it is because still stirring and rubbing on the same spots inside of me, but we have awareness and therapy and practice so that we can actually work through it. We're not just, you know, avoiding it or denying it. So that's been, that's been the last two years of my life. Um, I went from really focused on business the years before business growth, 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 expansion, expansion, expansion to I'm going into the portal and I don't know what the fuck is going to happen. (laughs) Well, I'm curious, you know, you write so much about like surrender, right? The path of surrender. And I'm curious if there was anything that surprised you in the process of essentially surrendering to the holding of um, a man and his consciousness, as well as the holding of the, you know, like Boulder Mountains and this very different um, type of nature to, you know, you and I both get like, we're like city girls, you know, we grew up like walking down the street and there's a lot of sounds. 
So was there anything that really surprised you in the process of surrender? Yeah, I think I found a deeper level of letting go in my emotional being, my emotional body, um, the ability to open into some places that they, I just didn't have a safe container to open toward to like some childhood wounds, um, you know, abandonment wounds from my dad, rejection, um, anxious avoidant attachment cycles. Like I had flirted with those things, but I'd never really just said, okay, I'm diving into the deep end of the pool. I'd mainly been like, okay, great. I don't have time for this. (laughs) Like I've got shit to do in life. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I, and, and, and that served me, you know, like, but I didn't stay in relationships that presented those opportunities when I was younger. Mm. I would just be like, right. Okay. I've done this for a minute. This is uncomfortable. I'm going to move on. So the deeper surrender has been actually staying with the places of discomfort and going, okay, I'm going to surrender into this pain. Mm. Even though it hurts, it doesn't mean I need to run. It doesn't mean I need to leave. It just means like things are being touched in me that now have the space. And that feels like a bit more of a deep feminine practice. It's like going into the underworld in a certain way, which I've gone into the underworld in many different phases of my life, many different cycles. I've entered into the sort of, I'm speaking metaphorically, the metaphorical underworld. Um, And this was a different one. This was kind of entering into the underworld um, of my emotions Uh, of my sense of self, uh, surrendering my sense of self that I had built in LA and New York that kind of a bunch of people knew me in different scenes and I hung out with rich people and famous people and, you know, cool kids. And it wasn't just that, but, um, you know, I, I was in a certain kind of status and then I came here and no one gave a fuck. Like my partner's friends didn't care. They don't care about what I've done or, Mm. you know, who I've been in the past. It was just like a full erasure of identity, except for the you and Jenny. (laughs) You're like, oh, hey, you're kind of cool. Nice to meet you. I'm like, oh, thank God. Someone thinks I'm cool. (laughs) Um, Or someone sees me is a better Mm. way to put it. Um, So that vulnerability was a surrender. So vulnerable to come to a new climate, new environment, new community. Um... And to surrender into the the uncertainty. Like, I don't know if I'm going to like it here. I don't know if it's going to work out. I don't know if I fit in, if I belong. You know, I I grew up in Miami, outside of Atlanta, New York City, Los Angeles. Like, I grew up around international people, uh, different languages, cultures. And so a part of me had to surrender that. Like, I had to let go of art, fashion, culture, and all of that is very surface, but it relates to something deep within my soul. Like my soul is like a, you know, an international traveler (laughs) (laughs) wearing like forever 21 dress, but like Prada shoes and like a thrifted jacket. Like that's my soul costume, you know? (laughs) Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I'm I'm also Sorry. curious, you know, as uh, as someone who loves to weave and you sort of play in this intersection between 
um, the sensual and the sacred, the um, the sexual and erotic and the spiritual. Um, and you do so much of this work with, you know, your clients, whether in groups, retreats, or one-on-one. I'm curious, was there a moment that you can identify or you can think back to where you either noticed the um, – the connection of those two or possibly also the disconnection, which then got you excited to connect them in your work? Mm, Absolutely. Um, So I noticed quite young that there was a disconnect between spirituality and sexuality for me personally. My father's Brazilian. I spent the summers in Brazil uh, wearing string bikinis and dancing the samba going to clubs when I was 11, 12, 13, drinking Malibu and making out with boys. And all of that was socially acceptable there. It was actually not even just acceptable, it was encouraged. The parents would drop us off at the club at 11, pick us up at 3. And they would ask, like, who'd you make out with? Like, how many guys do you guys make oh out my with? God. Um, you know, my aunts would, like, look down my shirt and be like, how are your breasts forming? And they'd be like, why are you wearing that bathing suit? That's something that a nun would wear. And they'd be like put this on instead. So I'd like let go of my Land's Inn or Old Navy bathing suit for um, a string bikini. And then I'd go back to Georgia where I lived in. I don't know if you guys remember the movie American Beauty, right, with um, Kevin Mm -hmm. Spacey and Annette Bening. So that movie, if you haven't seen it, watch it. It's like from the, I think, late 90s. That movie was based on the town that I grew up in, the suburb of Atlanta called Marietta. Yeah. No so way. Alan Ball, the writer of that, who also is the creator of True Blood, he grew he went to my high school, but like way before me. Oh. So it gives you a little bit of a context for the kind of place I grew up in. Mm-hmm. It was like tennis moms, minivans, like... <laughs> you know, church groups, um, but also like people sleeping with the, you know, like somebody's wife sleeping with the neighbor, you know. Um, and, and yeah, so I had this contrast where I'd come back from Brazil and I'd be thrust back into this white Protestant, you know, Southern community where sexuality, I remember going to a church youth group and then being like masturbating is a sin. And my tr- and and it was a youth group where I had like a young female um, kind of leader, mm-hmm. and she was so cool. She's like the kind of woman you want to bond with, and she was putting in all of our sweet little thirteen-year-old heads. Masturbation is really dirty and it's so sinful. Mm-hmm. And I remember just going back and forth from wearing like the most perfectly slutty outfits, like from what seal like high heel cork wedges booty shorts we couldn't wear booty shorts at school but like even like little crop tops and stuff to then I like was like shit I gotta go buy Abercrombie and Fitch I bought I remember after I got really slut shamed when I was in seventh grade like heavily by this one woman who I recently googled that side note um But after I got slut shamed so much, it hurt so bad. It hurt so bad that I went to Abercrombie and Fitch and I bought like a button up shirt and and jeans and a brown belt and Timberland boots. Oh my God. I was in so much pain. And I was like, if me being expressed in my sexuality, in my truth, which I was not sleeping with anyone, I hadn't done barely anything, but it was just that I was, I had just come back from 
from Brazil. I had lived this life of going to Brazil, coming back. So I was alive in my body. And then I was immediately shamed for that. And it wasn't about me giving blowjobs or hooking up with several people. It was about me being a woman at 12 or whatever, a girl who was expressed and in my body. So that's when I first noticed the split where I'm like, wow, okay, interesting. I'm completely, you know, Jezebel, scarlet lettered if I'm myself in this little, in this world. Right. Yeah. And then it just continued in a way. It was like the investigation continued. And there were periods of time where I felt like I had found other girls and women who I could be myself around. And we were like sluts together. And I don't mean sluts and actually like we weren't even sleeping with anyone. But we were like labeled sluts by everyone at school just because we were confident, embodied, and enjoying ourselves and, and, you know, radiant. We were so radiant, you know, and like the boys would all flock to us and then all the other girls would hate us. And that's what I really kind of learned about feminine radiance and the mm. power of female sexuality. I'm like, wow, okay, if the church is telling me this is terrible and if everyone at school is saying mm. I'm terrible, wow, this is, must be pretty powerful stuff we're talking about here. Um At that point, it wasn't like, oh, this is going to inform my mission in life. Mm-hmm. I yeah. still just wanted to be an actress and, and, and I went to NYU for acting, got a big scholarship. and But once I got there, I realized, oh, wait, I don't want to do a bunch of dead white guys plays for four years. And that's what I'm acting in. And I was like, oh, shit. I love Shakespeare, but like I know there's more. Mm. So I started writing my own work and that's where I explored more of these themes. So when mm. I was like um, – 19, me and three friends wrote a play about modern day isolation and how people are becoming more separate. And this was, I don't know, back in 2002, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. um, pre even iPhone, but we were, Oh my God. And I, I wrote this scene in that play where, um, it was like a table of girls at Starbucks or women. And then there was another table where their inner voices were talking Oh, that is so good. It was so good. I mean, 20 years ago, (gasps) but I still love that concept. So it was like these three women, you know, just like picking at pastries and like saying the outside stuff and the inside stuff is just like, I hate myself. I'm so fat. Whatever it was, you know. Did you ever get a chance? Did you actually act act it out? Yeah, we put that show on. Put put it on. Amazing. It was different scenes and that was was the one that I wrote. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm so curious to We scored it with a lot of Krishna Das. <laughs> yeah. Ah, the weaving of all the things uh-huh. is perfect. So you you go to Abercrombie. I'm still like at the Abercrombie and Fitch like field trip, okay? And so you buy all these things, the Timberlands. <laughs> oh my god, it was such a bad look, you guys. Oh my god, I remember that look. I remember it so well. The wet steel, like whatever, you know, crap, hot, hot. I don't even know what it was. That that was a better look for me. And so what happened between from the moment you started to wear the Abercrombie and Fitch outfit and the costume to later in life where you started to realize you were saying you had these these friends and you guys were all essentially embodied and radiant. Yeah. So what what happened in that space in between? I'm curious. That's a good question. I think that was a very hard year. It was eighth grade. I, I think I, I got very depressed. I felt suicidal. Um, I also had 
this experience of three months of inner peace, which is very hard to describe, except felt like a, like there was a warm ball of your safe energy radiating through my belly. And I look at it as a stroke of grace because I felt like I was going to give up during that time. It was just like, I don't understand how to be here. Um, and then I, I mean, I can remember where I was standing in my childhood bedroom when I felt this stroke of grace. And I, I remember just then surrendering into some, some peace. And I think that I went, I reconnected with those friends who were like more of the bad girls. And I'm not sure the exact moment how and why, because I think because I had been shunned, I thought, well, I can't hang out with the bad girls anymore. Mm. Um, mm. And it was also, we had all gotten suspended from the cheerleading squad. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, um, guys. For <laughs> smoking cigarettes, which they didn't know we were also drinking. And I think I smoked pot too, <laughs> but, you know, we got suspended for that. And that was kind of added to the shaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had also made out with like half the girls in the cheerleading squad. <laughs> and, um, you know... So my sexuality was just more blossomed or something. Mm. Um, But yeah, I can't remember the exact turning point, but I basically became friends again with some of the kind of like bad girls or whatever, Mm -hmm. wilder girls. Mm -hmm. One of them was Brazilian, actually. She's amazing. She follows me on Instagram. If you're listening, I love you. Um, (laughs) And then I got into high school and I um, found theater. And then I found the theater kids. And then I was like, okay, this mm-hmm. is great. I love you guys. Except that woman who, girl who slut shamed me was also became a theater kid. Oh, but I see. That's okay. I still win. <laughs> I won in the end. <laughs> so, well, it's interesting because there's this whole thread of like the body, right? The, fe- the, the feminine body um, being embodied, the radiance of being truly in your body. Because like you were saying, it wasn't about the activities, this whole like quote-unquote, like, being a slut thing. No, I wasn't having sex with anyone. Yeah, I was actually just inhabiting your body. And the irony is that we now, I imagine you get this too. I know I get this. Is like, I'll get applications for people wanting to do coaching with me, and they're literally like, teach me how to be more slutty. (laughs) I would love that. I just want to throw that out there. I have not got those applications. I will take you. I will hold you in that process too. (laughs) Which is really just, I mean, the translation of that is help me be so embodied that I can access all the different parts of me. Yeah. Including the archetype of, you know, the sacred slut, mm-hmm. um, yeah. which just gives a lot of permission to a lot yeah. of things that... I think permission is the key word. Sorry. I think permission is the key word because um, eventually I continue to just keep doing that and inviting women in. And I think when I was younger, I probably energetically didn't know how to become an invitation with my energy my energy probably closed other women's hearts who felt threatened by me. Mm. Um, and over the years, I've become more adept, obviously, and more skillful and masterful at how to be in my energy. So I wouldn't walk into a room with the same level of feminine radiance and embodied openness or sensuality. Um, I wouldn't walk into every room with the same level. I would modulate my energy. I would become a little bit more aware of the environment I'm in, um, and, and I, I really, I had a teacher who taught me that, you know, it's like, is this, is you claiming your sensuality in a room, closing everyone else down in the room? And, um, and it's a fine line because most of us have been closing ourselves down for so yeah. many years. Mm-hmm. So 
it's like, it's almost easier. And I felt this actually recently here in Boulder. I thought, you know, thank God I found my gals who are also in the sacred slut domain. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> but with my partner, his friends are not. That's not their vibe. And so I often just like, I, you know, kind of adapt to their their vibe. And, and yesterday I was like, I'm going to wear what I would normally wear. And I'm not going to just put on like something more subdued. And I'm just going to be in my body, in myself, without being showy about it, but really trying to find that sweet spot. And it felt different. And I'm not sure why exactly that I'm feeling like I can be a little bit more um, cheeky, playful, silly, um, sexy in front of these people. Even though they're not, they don't necessarily manifest their presence through those qualities. And that feels good because it's a very, it's easy to become small or to try to like, go into resonance with the people around you. Um, and so, yeah, you can do that if you're working in a corporate environment. You need to become more resonant. You don't need to walk in there full Beyonce or whatever. <laughs> um, but when you have to also make sure you have places where you're not just having to resonate with everyone else's energy, but you can really ask your energy to expand. Yeah. And then find people who meet you in that place of expansion. Mm-hmm. Because if you're always modulating down, then you're going to meet people who are meeting you there and they think that that's you. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very, it's a tricky, is it, it, maybe tricky is the wrong word, but it's a skillful, it's a practice to not just be blasted open, always walking through life at like a level 10, essentially embodied queen, mm. you know, um, <laughs> Because maybe that's not safe at TSA or whatever. At TSA. You know, I actually had one of my amazing uh, assistants from my last retreat was blasted open and then had something uncomfortable happen at TSA. Oh, so, no. you know, it's, it's, we, when our energy is so exposed and big, it can be also, yeah, it's something we need to care for. So, mm-hmm. um, but that's why we practice, mm. you know. Yeah, you know, when as you you were speaking about that, I was thinking about the framework. It's um, a framework by Dr. Gabor Mate around, I, I speak about this a lot in my work, like authenticity versus attachment, and the fact that these are two needs that we have as humans, mm-hmm. and they're often in opposition to each other. And so actually, when we're trying to like look the same as, you know, the rest of the group, like in high school, or then later in life, or even unconsciously, sometimes, like I'll be in a different city, and I'll be like, oh, I should just sort of blend in here versus, you know, dress the way I did at the last city that I lived in, um, that that's, that's a survival mechanism. It's a belonging mechanism. It's a way for us to get the love of our community, which back in the day doesn't count anymore, but back in the day actually was our, our survival was based on that, right? If you got kicked out of the quote unquote tribe tribe or community or, or village, um, you did not make it. And so we still have that yes. in our nervous system. It's the program that runs that keeps us like, oh, I should just let me stay the same. But then there's the other part of us that's authentic and embodied expression. Yeah. That's like, but I want to wear this outfit. Yeah. And it's red and it's glitzy and it's, you know, whatever it might be. And so we're constantly on the edge of um, working with both of those needs and they're both equally important. It's just a matter of like identifying like when is one actually about life or death Mm. and when isn't it? And like you said, turning up the dial, like titrating and modulating, where does it make sense for me to connect to my sacred slut? And maybe it isn't at the you know, grocery store on the, in the checkout line when you're just trying to mind your own business and get home. Right. 
right? But the problem is that a lot of the, the, the women that come to us don't necessarily it's, it's that they, they think they just want to be more in all these archetypes, but often they just want access to the dial mm. so that they can choose when to go up and down, but they often feel disempowered or just having a yeah. harder time finding the dial in the first place and being like, but how do I even connect to this energy that moves through me that I know exists, but like I can't really find? Yes. That's yeah. such a good way of putting it, like just finding the dial. Um, and then learning how to use it. It's like we weren't taught, you know, how to hold all these different aspects of our femininity, our feminine consciousness. We weren't taught how to be able to toggle between them. And I know there's times where I'm a fucking badass leader and a coach and I'm powerful and strong. And there's times where I'm like the tenderest, softest little flower. And there's times where I am super witchy and mystical and there's times where I'm very you know I don't know um slutty badass all -hmm. the things um and I know how to discern and it's I don't it's not a conscious thought process anymore for me I'm not like hmm what outfit am I gonna put on today who am I gonna be today but it's more now it's an embodied navigation because it lives in my being because I've done 20 years of work um, opening and healing and reclaiming and resurrecting and just calling forth all of me from being, you know, a good girl and like, mm. or, or a bad girl. It's like, there's only two choices. And I wrote about this in my book. And my first film that I made was about this. It's like, just like the virgin whore archetypes, the bad girl, good girl. And just like, that was the choice mm-hmm. growing up for a lot of us. And I toggled back and forth. I was like, okay, fuck that. I'm going to be the whore. I'm going to be the bad girl. I'm going to do all the bad things. I'm going to sleep with this guy. Now that we're talking a little bit older and, you know, my 20s, like, I'm going to sleep with this girl. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to be the bad girl. I'm going to smoke. I'm going to drink because I'm going to, if I'm going to do bad girl, I'm going to do it good. Right. (laughs) And then, and then, and then swinging the opposite direction. Oh my God, something bad happened as the bad girl. So now I have to be the good girl. Now I have to clean up my act. I got to do some cleansing. I got to do some meditating. I got to wear more white, you know? And so that, that's, that on a psychic level is, has colonized all of our beings as women. It's just there. Mm -hmm. And so part of all the process, I think we probably both do with women is finding the range again, finding the dial, the range. There's so much more than that. And actually, how do we break free from that at a deep primal level? Like, how do we break free from like, I don't, good good and bad are so relative. They're based on societal conditioning, Mm -hmm. right? So how do I free my mind, my body, my psyche, my emotions from those constraints so that I can feel more whole and more true? Like, and, and, Every woman has her own journey with that. For my, for me, it's been a 20-year journey. I mean, I'm still on it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's never ending, right? No. But it, it is. It's like um, playing playing the musical notes of you. Yeah. Right? Instead of like this binary, like you said, the good, bad, virgin, whore, you know, um, uh, schism in a way. It's, yeah. it's actually about this integration of going, oh, I am all the colors of the rainbow. There's no good or bad. There's just all these colors. There's all these musical notes. And what are the tools I need to learn how to play all the different notes of me, right? Which is essentially, I feel like that makes me think about 
you know, the, the, the title of, you know, your last book, Fuck Like a Goddess, because it feels like it's all about making love to life mm-hmm. through being your full self, through feeling all the feelings, through hitting all the different musical notes of your existence, and that you're not just going, I'm this or I'm that, and yeah. that's the end of that, Yeah. right? Um, so this makes me want to, to move us over into the land of lovers, (laughs) the land of loving. Right. Um, because I, yeah, go ahead. Which makes sense talking about like how you form yourself as a woman to expand and be open and be true and be free. And then what? (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, a lot of our work tends to be working with, um, we use the word lover, I think, a lot, both of us in our work. And it's it's this archetype of, you know, past just like, I think in, in mainstream pop culture lingo, it's more like, oh, the lover, like, you know, you think about sex. Right. But we're really talking about like, someone who's heart-based, someone who can fully make love to all the different scenarios that show up to all the different people and situations. And essentially it's, it's a tantrika, even though I always hesitate using that word, right? Because it's a little more specific, but the idea of essentially, mm, like sucking the juice out of every moment fully, even if that moment sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's that not it, talked about as much, no, the sucking. It, and it is a tantric practice. It is tantric practice in a way. And it's not tantra necessarily speaking to like neo-tantra, westernized tantra. But if for those of you all, you know, who practice yoga or meditation, if you go back to the East and you go back to most of the streams of wisdom, um, there are paths that are more like, okay, I'm going to sit on a meditation cushion and I'm going to, I'm going to meditate and I'm going to practice my yoga and I'm going to cleanse my being. And then there are the tantric paths that are like, I'm going to live in the world. I'm going to feel my feelings. I'm going to have relationships. I'm going to have lovers. Um, I'm going to be in the mess and the juice of life. And that, that would be my spiritual practice. And there are structures within that, but that's my practice. And so, there are different lineages of um, of tantric um, Kashmiri Shaivism, which is a a tantric uh, lineage, and there's some great books by a teacher Daniel Odier who writes a lot about that lineage. It's not a living lineage, so there's not like teachers out there teaching it. There's not like centers, which makes it a little bit more difficult to learn. Um, though there are some teachers that came from Swami Muktananda who was, uh, teaching that tradition, but not on the left-hand side. So wasn't using sex or alcohol or, you know, kind of as part of the practice, but more of the right-hand path of that Tantra. And then there's Buddhist Tantra and there is, um, tantric Buddhist paths are very different than like a Zen Buddhist path. So Vajrayana Buddhism, which you, you may have heard of Lama uh, Sultram or even, um, Pema Chodron, um, is on that path as well. And that's really a path that, again, you turn towards pain, you turn towards fear, you turn towards suffering, you turn towards the groundlessness of life. There's not a lot of um, teachings around sex because those are really high teachings. Those are really 
safe for practitioners that were like high, high, high level. So you can't go into like a Vajrayana Buddhist retreat and be like, okay, let's talk about a <laughs> sexual practice now. Because, but that's not to say they didn't exist. They did, but those are really, they were very secretive teachings. Um, but in the, in the consideration of, of the heart, compassion, um, forgiveness, feeling it all, walking towards the fire, actually inviting the fire to awaken you, that is all very, very tantric. Um, so we've been influenced that by that, whether we like it or not, or whether we know it or not. And it may have come through, you know, listening to a podcast or you heard me on a podcast and I've been studying that stuff for, I don't know, 10, 15 years. So it's, and so you are probably impacted by certain teachings. Some of those teachings being, yeah, my book is full of them and I really credit those teachers, but what would happen if instead of going, it's okay. I'll be all right. I'm just going to kind of like buck up and um, I'm going to look on the bright side, right? Because uh, I don't want to go into negative thinking. What if instead of that, I looked the fear in the face, I walked into the grief and I felt it fully and I felt what it feels like to be groundless, to be completely out of control. And even there I'm existing and I'm truth and I'm existence. So that is that warrior heart path. Mm. It is turning towards everything that is uncomfortable. Now, it's not necessarily going into abusive situations or continuing to walk into the same um, patterns. And that's when we really investigate our patterns and we begin to know, oh, this pattern is causing me suffering because I keep, I'm addicted to it or I'm um, afraid to acknowledge or bring awareness to it. So it's not like we just are trying to feel bad and just keep feeling bad. No, we're, we're, we're transforming, we're alchemizing, we're transmuting. And that's really where the tantric and the shamanic paths kind of come together. Shamanism being inherent to many different cultures, though they wouldn't necessarily all call it that. Um, but paths where, uh, through different rituals, medicine, ceremonies, we stay with grief, we stay with pain, we transform it. In the Western world, in the Judeo-Christian um, kind of lineages that's that's not really so so common to turn towards grief turn towards pain um so I talk about a lot of this in my book and I can geek out on it for a very long time because <laughs> I'm you know because I'm a product of the 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 religion that said don't feel don't fuck you know keep smiling be good mm. and so you know it's taken me a lot of time to unwind that and and I've been very persistent about it and over the last 20 years. Mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, this this pulls us out into the collective experience too, right? When we're talking about the more Western societies that where there is this denial of um, the death, the shadow, the darkness, and where it's like, oh, let's just live over here in the summer and spring seasons mm -hmm. um, of our emotions and um, of our, our, our just scenarios in general. What ends up happening is then it creeps up. And I saw this so much in, in parts of the Arab world too, right? Like the more you repress the shadow, the more it comes out sideways. Yeah. And also the more it coagulates in our psyches and our bodies themselves, right? And so now we're having to essentially clean up the mess in the West because it's been a while now that we've been on this path of we're just going to be in the summer and the happy and the light right. and, the, and the daytime and all the things. And um, the 
the importance of bringing in heart and also when we say the heart in the lover archetype, again, looking at the type of person that is willing to face the fire, right, and is willing to do the shadow work and is willing to be with their own grief and take these lovers and um, essentially have them become the leaders in the next generation in, you know, our future paradigms of leadership, because I think that's another place where these two things need to meet is like bringing in the heart into leadership because leadership so far in the West has been a lot about dominance and overpowering and conquering and And um, money. I mean, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, you can make decisions about if you're running a company, you're trying to make decisions to save money it's usually at the expense of people, you know? It's at the expense of love. It's at the expense of connection. And that's just how economy has, has I think, been successful. It's how it's oriented itself, which is not – it's that terminology like a dominator culture. I can't remember what's the other one, and I can't remember the author of that book. I'm going to look Google it after this. <laughs> but it's like something like a dominator culture versus um, – it's not like collaboration, but more community. But partnership, I think, maybe is what mm-hmm. it is. Um, and so if, it, if we are in a dominator culture, it's like, of course, I'm going to just keep slashing all these other people down so that I can keep getting rich. And I was listening to this podcast with Marianne Williamson, and she's like, it's completely unfair. Like the people that are rich and even the people that you see on Instagram who are like, I'm, I got rich, I'm seven figures, I'm this and that, are at a complete a completely different advantage and point of privilege than most other people. So it's not really a fair stomping ground. It's not for, for so, so many people. Like there's finding a place where there's a little bit more of a fair, um, just economy for everybody would be love, would be the practice of love would be, I mean, this sounds kind of silly but a bunch of women and grandmas you know taking over the white house tearing oh my god yeah. tearing down yes. the white house and making yes. a whole new incredible mm-hmm. commune where they're like okay let's talk about this you know poverty let's talk about hunger we have all this food on the planet how come only the rich people are getting all the fancy food and there's all these starving people that seems off that's weird how come all these people are hoarding billions of dollars, but then all these people have nothing? That seems strange. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know. I hope we get there one day. To me, that's that would be a world based on love, not power, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I also... I, I want to throw in because I was just I kept imagining I'm like what about the other humans like I think it's just really anyone who is walking around as a lover it just happens you mean not to, just women yeah 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 but just that in that there's the feminine values of the we yeah the community the village the like it's it's about the ecosystem we live in and I think there's this like there's a little bit of this like pretentious um there's another word I'm looking for but I'll just stick to pretentious for the moment, but there's this like, um, yeah, there's this weird way in which we somehow think that we can operate in isolation to our ecosystem 
and that actually our ecosystem is one that is there to serve us and we can extract from and you know and it's just going to keep giving us never endingly and it's like no at some point actually shit's going to hit the fan I mean, well shit has hit the fan but yeah you know it's there's not going to be anything left and if we're not doing this reciprocal back and forth where we give back to the land to the ecosystem to the community to the other people that are having a harder time you know for us to be able to all like elevate together and i think that comes from a scarcity mindset that to me comes back to the whole like it's got to be this or that mm-hmm. you know you're either this or that um, right. you're either you know you're going to be the one that wins or you're going to be the one that loses right and so like who are you going to be um, be the good girl that makes money <laughs> right 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 yeah. yeah, and then we're not ha- happy. <laughs> yeah. We're like, oh, wait a second, hold on. What was the point of life again? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I'm curious, now that we went a little... little we went on a tangent. A little, well, to me, this is, this personally, yeah. actually, it, it speaks to the next question I wanted to ask you. Um, it, to me, this is why I wake up. Like, I wake up for for this mission. And I'm curious yeah. for you being that you've had this really unique path of the, you know, the Brazilian meets the, the girl from Georgia, the, um, the part of you that went through a season of the more like spiritual practices that were, I would say, I guess, mask like a little bit more masculine or a little bit less. Um, I don't know what word you would use mm-hmm. to describe that, but it feels very masculine. To then, uh, you know, bringing in so much of the feminine embodiment into your work and the sensuality and sexuality into your work. Mm-hmm. What what wakes you up in the morning? Like, mm. what is the fire in your belly that keeps you going? Because we all know shit's hard in this world <laughs> and in entrepreneurship. It's not like no matter what people think on the outside what they're seeing it's 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 hard so what what's that fire for you it's I feel it I'm going to backtrack to the question a little but I feel it when I'm working with women especially when I'm in a room of women teaching and leading I feel a felt sense of what's possible when we get out of our heads when we stop hating ourselves we come together as sisters, brothers, whatever, but I teach mainly women. Um, I feel the possibility like of us fully alive, free in our bodies, our minds no longer colonized by all these ideas that every day we're not doing enough, we're not good enough, we're not thin enough, we're not rich enough, living a busy, busy life against all those those ideas that are inside of us. So when I feel the possibility of the freedom, people finding the heart, you know, leaving all those stories, um, being fully embodied, to me, those are the humans that are going to save the planet, for lack of better words. Um, Because I talk about this in my book, the split between us and the body, us and our sexuality is us and the earth. And the people that are making the decisions on this planet, most of them have come from that split. So they're not feeling that like kinship with the earth and the reverence and the honor and the sacredness usually. You know, if you look at our politicians, I'm like, yeah, I doubt he's hugging a tree or kissing a tree or (laughs) laying naked against the earth, you know. Um, 
So that's what gets me up in the morning is just knowing and feeling that there is a possibility for love on this planet to be more powerful, to be more present than greed and um, the desire to sort of conquer. Um, yeah, and I, I, you know, when I was younger, it was really, and it still is centered around reawakening feminine energy on this planet. I really got the memo um, from the goddess from Divine Feminine, from life, when I was um, 20 in Italy. I was living in Italy, and I really heard it. And I think I had had the experience at that time where I was, like, kind of living partially in this ashram, very intense yogis, uh, yoga sutra. Um, a lot of them had taken monastic vows. Uh, they didn't even eat garlic or or you know any spice I actually came to the first potluck at like the ashram community and I brought uh oh, no. I brought was a green I brought a green curry and it was super spicy green curry green curry was like my specialty in college and they all like it was it was such a metaphor for me entering into their world this wow. ashram and so they're all eating the curry and they're all looking around like oh and then I, somebody said, like, we don't eat spice. And I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> the controversial curry. And then, oh with, and then within that community, um, I was really, like, I was loving meditation. And I was loving the practice. And I was loving being in the yoga community. And then I, I asked one of the leaders, I said, could I lead a women's group? You know, I had already been doing that. And I was 20 then. And, and um he was like, okay. And I led this women's group and, um, we got so lit, so fired up, so juicy, so embodied. And we kind of came back into the, you know, the, the yogis and he was like, no, you're not doing that no, again. No, you know, and, no. and I think that's when I felt the clarity. I am here to reawaken the divine feminine through my practice, through my teachings, through my art. I'm here to invite this into rooms. Um, and I think I was so angry back then. I think I was angry. I'd, I had done um, a lot of workshops with women in different contexts of that were difficult, like uh, women that had been sex trafficked in New York, um, all kinds of, of different communities of women. I had I was very committed to volunteer work. I mentored different um, women in photography and art. And um, and I was just angry. You know, definitely, it definitely anger created a fuel for my mission at a young age. I'm not as angry anymore at the patriarchy or whatever you want to call it. Um, but it, it created a clarity in me. And I really started paying attention um, to how not only women, but anyone who was other than sort of this dominator culture uh, were treated. And that, that meant paying attention to the, and learning about the stories of indigenous peoples, um, people of color across the planet, and queer people. And my journey continued on with that. And, and so I just tap, continue to tap into the heart of um, where the, the love of power has just obliterated communities, humans, um, civilizations, and how 
I really think that reinviting feminine uh, principles and ideals, archetypally speaking, feminine uh, back connection, love, nurturing is the is the the healing. Mm. Not only those, but also fucking fierceness and protection, and you know, shouting for what you believe in. It's not just like this lovey dovey vibe, of course. Mm. Yeah, you know, it feels like there is um, this thing that happens for a lot of us where earlier on we see change coming from this place of anger, right? So we're like, I'm going to be an activist. I'm going to go do the things, right? I did the same thing, same journey. Mm-hmm. And um, the fire initially the of, you know, dissatisfaction of violation uh, of boundaries of, mm-hmm. you know, this is not right. Like all of that is, is, is so just, right, uh, in terms of where it starts. But the method in which we then go, oh, how can we change the world? Initially, the anger is is a lot sharper. And so it feels... Um, it feels like it's like a, a phase one of the process of loving the world through our anger, right? And then we move and we widen our anger, into an embrace of the world so it's still coming from a place of hey this shit is not right and so but but instead of it now spurting out like in this direct line like fuck you it's now it widens and becomes like a fierce love Mm -hmm. it's a more more feminine approach yeah yeah Mm -hmm. amazing well it's been a great chat i'm curious um if you've got any anything else that feels really alive or important that's brewing in your work or in your body that mm. um, you would like to tell folks. Mm. Well, we didn't talk about many things that we were going to talk about. Oh, like what? We're going to talk about like, you know, dancing and more of the erotic and friendship. We went on a socio-political tangent, but you know that that's definitely a part of me, and I think it's important to voice the why we do what we do. So it's not just like oh, women who are just like rolling around on the floor, like crying and breathing. It's like it's not it's 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 connected to something way bigger, right? Which is reclaiming this very large aspect um, of humanity that was that was repressed. So, um, yeah, but. Yeah, I don't know if there's anything that I'm, like, missing that I wanted mm. to say, you know. Well, I mean, I, I feel if, if I feel like there's this this piece of, like, okay, Monday nights, right? We go, we dance. Mm-hmm. We roll around on the floor, like mm-hmm. you were saying, and we breathe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we make funny sounds. Mm. And we talked about the why we do that, and... Um, I guess I'm 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 curious because everything has like there's the individual layer and then there's the collective layer. Like there's how we upgrade our personal lives in the process of these embodiment practices and these coming back, you know, of this integration of sensual and 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 sexual and sacred and um and then there's the like what we're doing for the planet and the community and the world. And so going back, so we went big, but going back to your personal, what do you feel rolling around on the ground making funny sounds um, has done for you? Great question. Yeah. So I think when I was living in LA, I was so, okay, I think I'm going to just take it a a notch back. Okay. Um, 
when I was going through my Saturn's return and I was living in Brooklyn and I was a filmmaker and I was in a lesbian relationship, I was much more in this like wild, embodied, free, and it felt so good. I'm not going to lie, but the shadow side was partying and drinking and drugs and things like that. But I had had these super spiritual phases and then like, okay, now I'm in this kind of super wild phase, you know, um, which lasted for a bit. And, and then I moved to LA and I'm like, okay, back to super spiritual. I'm going to hang out with the super spiritual people. (laughs) But then I couldn't invite in like my juicy ass and like my queerness or, you know, these certain aspects of me, my sluttiness. Um, or people would kind of like be like, oh, that's so cool. Guess or people would pull me aside at a party and just be like telling me like, oh my God, I had a threesome. Like they felt safe to like, I was their kind of slutty, but also cool friend or something. Um, but I, and I mean slutty, not that I was doing like messing around with a lot of people at that moment, but more of just that I had this energetic, um, and, and I think moving to Boulder, I, I didn't know that I would be re-tapping back into an integration space of, oh, if I go to dance with Nadia and other friends and they also are spiritual gals, women, and they're also deeply sensually embodied there in their, in their sensuality and erotic. So that's been really healing to, ha- to to be in the practice of both because I think a lot of people get on the spiritual path and they kind of abandon their erotic. They're suddenly in the ideology of like my root chakras lower than my crown. And mm-hmm. um, and it's it's funny because like quote unquote spiritual people are, are probably not the people that you see like dancing with their hips or like, I mean... I, I, that's a vast generalization, so please don't nail me in a cross for that. But um, I'm, I'm saying from that generalized place, like when people are exploring their spirituality, it's a very hard to explore your sexuality at the same time. It is possible. I know there's some of you out there who have done that. But usually people have just explore their, their spirituality for a while and their sexuality is a little in the back burner, which just totally makes sense because mm-hmm. it just makes sense. But so to be in the place of integration of both right now feels amazing. And it still feels edgy because Boulder is super white. It's super not culturally diverse. So the, the kind of root chakra and sacral chakra of Boulder to me <laughs> feels like a little, like I'm still like, where are you? Hi. Um, especially coming from like the years of dancing in like a queer club in, in New York City and Brooklyn and, you know, um, all of that. But, um, but yeah, but I think that, that there comes a point on your journey of where you're, trying to integrate you don't have to separate this stuff anymore um but i think there's there's very few people that can really hold both it can be really tricky it's like when a burning man it's like everyone's really spiritual but all of a sudden everyone's on molly and mdma and everyone's having a orgy (laughs) and it's like is that the integration of spirituality and sexuality that's not the one i'm looking for Mm. you know Mm. i'm looking for in my own body in the moment Mm. not as like a party trick Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, also energetically, when we think about, you know, the chakra system, it's, it's, uh, you, you have to energetically root down 
to then it's it's yeah. actually quite dangerous, right? To then open up the upper chakras because of there's nothing to tether you to your human experience and to the 3D and to your actual vessel. And then, you know, things happen and sometimes those are not good things. So I think it's, you know, it's just about balance and health and just yeah. being tapped into all the different parts of your body and all the different, again, the musical notes energetically of, of who you are. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm glad, glad you found the crew. <laughs> I know. We twerk, twerk into, um, uh, you know oblivion basically. yeah <laughs> and it what makes me happy it's like it's not a crew that's like posting on uh, you know images on instagram every day of themselves twerking and going i'm a sexual goddess no no shade on that if that's your journey but me i'm almost 40 that's not my journey anymore i did that i, I really did that i did that you know i have nude pictures and many places online videos all kinds of stuff but we don't need to go there right now but um <laughs> But it feels good to find women who are doing it in a way that feels clean. And I don't mean clean like in any sort of puritanical, but like energetically um, tidy. It's not Mm -hmm. spilling over everywhere. Um, It's not for show. It's not a performance. Um, And yeah, it's integrated into the other practices. And and there's heart. heart, There's like, that's actually such an important thing that I teach. It's like, where is your heart while you're practicing, while you're you know, going into those sexual realms or opening, um, erotically. So it feels good to have found that. And, um, definitely found like kind of like little dips into communities where I'm like, oh, they're doing that. And then something feels off, you know, maybe it's too many drugs or I don't know, maybe it's too much like sort of that neo-tantra vibe. Um, so it's nice to feel people that are kind of a mix of practical, and also can go into the, into the more, you know, um, witchy or, mm-hmm. yeah, sexy. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay, people, obviously, after this conversation, want to go read your stuff, hang out with you, see what you're up to. Um, is there anything that you want to share that's coming up soon that you're up to? And also, where can people find you and hang out with you online? Well, get my book, Fuck Like a Goddess, Heal Yourself, Reclaim Your Voice, Stand in Your Power. Um, It's available anywhere books are sold and on audio. And my podcast is called Holy Fuck, and we have a new season coming out very soon. But you have plenty of time to catch up on the old episodes. So many good episodes. (laughs) So many. I love them all. And um, I'm actually redoing my shop page on my website. Hopefully it'll be up by the time this is out and there's a bunch of practices and little mini courses there i've been trying to get that together i also have a retreat at kripalu center um called liberate your sensual and i think spiritual power (laughs) and that's august 10th to 14th and i also do one-on-one work i am I have a few spaces. I'm about to write my second book, so I don't have a ton of spaces for private clients. And I also run a group coaching that will be starting in February. So uh, we do practice and coaching, and it's feminine, uh, embodied feminine practice, and then also coaching. And it's a great, great way to be with women and to be in a container with me. And I do that once a year too. Mm. Thank you so much. Yeah, I've, all of these links will be in the show notes as well, so you can hop on over there to get a direct link and um, follow her on Instagram and all that good stuff. Oh, right, that too. Yes. <laughs> 
If this episode juiced you up, turned you on, and got you interested in private coaching with me, head on over to NadiaMunla.com. The Work With Me page outlines everything. The time containers, the price points, who I work with, and so on and so forth. And if you still have questions after that, um, you can email us at info at NadiaMunla.com to inquire about applications or anything else that was not answered on the page. And then when I receive your application, if I feel like we're a fit, we always hop on an exploration call before we commit to anything. And this to me is like, Uh, going on a date, (laughs) going on a coaching date. And we do that in order to really confirm that this is a relationship we both want to enter into for a period of time. We get clear on what it is that I can support you with, whether I am the best person to support you and how we will do so. So if this is you, I can't wait to get your application and hop on the phone with you soon. If you enjoyed the guest on this episode, you can head on over to the show notes to get more info on their bio, their work, their website, and all the good stuff. I love you guys so much. Thank you for listening. We would love for you to rate and review the show, and I'd love to know your takeaways from the episode. You can do that by DMing me on Instagram at Nadia Munla.